appreciate it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. It's been 25 years, I think 25 years since I've been here, if anyone can remember. I know the stage was over that way, and you used to drive up and through and come through here. Anyone remember those days? Well, it's only been recent changes, hasn't it? So obviously you'd, obviously you'd remember, but it's been some time for me to be back in Gladstone, so it's a real joy to be here. Um, thanks, James and Michelle. You guys are really nice people. You really are. There's a difference between so saying they're great people and they're nice people because you want great people to be nice and nice people are already great. <laughs> Not all great people are nice. You would have figured that out by now, hey? But all nice people are great. They really are. And you guys are nice. You're, you're kind. You're humble. And you just... I think you're great representations of God's love here on earth. Now, Jesus said to everyone who was following him, people will know that you belong to me by the way you love each other. And I just think that verse would be very fitting for the both of you and your family and everything that's happening here. So it's a great joy to be here. Uh, Jules is going to close the, my part of what I do. She's going to, at the end of this, I'm going to go a little bit shorter and uh, hand it over to her so that she can pray for some people. And um, we'll just see what happens there, which will be great. So if you are never been in a church before, welcome. It's great to have you here. I remember the first time I went to church because I didn't grow up like this. And it was so awkward. Seriously, my first time at church. It felt weird. I just, I, I was a 15-year-old kid and I walked in and everyone was just, looked like they knew the part. It looked like I'd turned up to something and everything was an in-joke. And I was the outsider. And I had no idea what was going on. And so it's really important to make sure that we make everyone feel welcome because I know what the orkies are like when you fill all those orkies. So it's, it's, it's good to be with you. Let me show you a picture of our family. Oh, I thought the screen was off for good. So this is us. Um, that's me on the left, the front. And that's Jules. That's our son, Eli. And this is his cafe that he works at on the Gold Coast. He's a barista. And that's our daughter, Harmony. So he's 20, uh, she's 22 and married to this guy, Nat. And so she is no longer Harmony Abel. She is now Harmony Butcher. And we call her the Butch. Because <laughs> that's what he gets called. He's a football player. He plays for the Sydney Roosters. Anyone? Anyone? Sydney Roosters? Any fans? Sydney Roosters? It's okay. Just checking. Like... You know, you could be anywhere as a, as a Roosters fan. Like, we're Roosters fans, and here we are in Gladstone. It's possible, right? Um, so that's our little family, and we are having a blast living life together. It's been great. Uh, COVID has been horrible for a lot of people, and it's been kind in some situations. Uh, in this situation, you would have known, if you follow the football, the whole of the NRL got shipped to Queensland uh, in order to keep playing for the season which means every team had to come up. And so Nat came up, then all the families were allowed to come up and they all had to quarantine. And they were based on the Sunshine Coast, the Roosters, and they had to live with four other football teams all together in one resort. That would have been a nightmare. Um, and so we've been able to see them a lot this year, which we never would have, which is just God's kindness. Um, so we're very grateful for that. Well, it's good to see you here, um, nice and spread out. That's pretty cool. Reminds me, actually, of the days when you used to be able to fly internationally and you'd fight for a whole row by yourself. 
Some of you have scored a whole row. It's pretty awesome. I used to, I'm tall. And so I'd be like, I want a whole row. I want to lay down and go to sleep. It was difficult. So it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. So it's great. I want to um, share a thought with us this morning. If you have got a Bible, I don't know if you've got a paper Bible. I still like using the paper Bible. I've got the Bible app on my phone and it's brilliant. And you've got like so many different translations and hundreds of different languages. So you can probably have the Bible in your language, which is really fun. Um, it's, it's quite meaningful to read it in your own language. Um, so you can read it there. I think that we, we might put some verses up on the screen as well. I want to read this story from John chapter 8. It's uh, just a, a short passage in the Bible, but you can see as we start to read it, there's a lot going on here. There is a lot happening. Um, just for some context, as we read it, I, I need you to know something before we read this because it'll help you, I think, as we read it. Uh, this is a couple of thousand years ago when Jesus, you know, right in the early church time when Jesus had arrived and he's like 30-something years old now, he's a rabbi and um, he's in a culture where women are not valued. He's in a culture where children are not valued. He's in a culture where people have slaves He's in a culture where really it's the men who are supreme in the household. And so with, with that in mind and thinking about religious leaders were really the ones who were the top, you know, like pastors and priests and different people in churches could order everybody around. That's the scene. Let's read this story. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. So he's in the temple. Well, we're, we're kind of in a temple. It doesn't look like some of the temples back then, but this is a church building facility and a temple that would have had, not carpet on the floor, would have been stone floor. And so he's back in the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them as he was speaking. Imagine this right now. I'm speaking as, as, as I'm speaking. As he was speaking... The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these are experts in religious understanding. These are like people with masters, doctorates, graduated with honors. They really are some smart religious people. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, we're not going to do this this morning, but it would look like while I'm speaking... Some experts of Christianity were creating a big commotion right now, and you all stood up and turned around as they brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They just ripped her out of the situation and brought her straight into the middle. That's the scene. So imagine that right in the middle there, there's a whole commotion going on, and I can't keep speaking because everyone's like, what's going on? These, these experts, these priests, they've brought someone in, and they've thrown her down on the temple floor, and this is what they've got to say. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, my first question is, where's the man? Where's the guy? I mean, I thought, it doesn't it take two to tango? <laughs> There's a fly in here. She was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now, they're quoting from Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And do you know what Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10 says? That if a man commits adultery with a woman, a neighbor's wife, bring both the man and the woman out and stone them. Both, the man and the woman. So they have brought the woman only 
thrown her down and said, Jesus, this is what the law says, what do you say? So he doesn't argue, doesn't remind them that they've misread the law, they haven't interpreted it fully. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Just starts writing on the stone floor of the temple in the dust. And if you've read any parts of the Bible, especially the beginning parts, you'd be aware that this is not the first time God has written on stone with his finger. In fact, back in Exodus, he wrote the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. And here's Jesus now being questioned about the law that he actually wrote. What do you say? So he doesn't answer yet. He just starts with his finger drawing in the dust. Or maybe it's to do with Jeremiah's prophecy, the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that when the Lord said through Jeremiah to the Israelites, when you don't worship me, you're committing spiritual adultery and you shall go down into the grave of the dust. Maybe that's what Jesus is referring to. Either way, his actions are speaking a whole lot louder than words. And they know it. They've come to accuse. They've come to shame her, to judge, to try and trap Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have to say anything. Just his very actions are making them quiver on the inside. So they're demanding an answer. They kept demanding an answer, verse 7. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He's already made it pretty clear. None of you have passed this test. But if you want to fulfill the law, go ahead. Throw a stone if you've never broken it. If you've never broken any of the commandments, any of the laws, you've never offended God, you've never done anything wrong, pick up a stone and throw it at him. Go for it. And because of his actions and the way he had done this, he steps back down again, starts writing in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. In the Aramaic, that means priests. They stepped away one by one, starting with the priests who threw the accusation because they knew. They threw the law at Jesus. He was so kind in his response. He didn't even rouse on them. He didn't even argue with them. He didn't even get angry at them. He just stooped down. Again, God writes on the stone, fulfills the prophecy of Jeremiah in the dust. And everybody who knows the law walks away one by one until there's nobody left except Jesus. Which is interesting because the law also says that you can only stone put to death anybody in the law on the testimony of two witnesses. How many people are left? One, Jesus. Only Jesus is left. There's no longer two people. There's only one that can testify. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? To the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she says. And when she says Lord in the Aramaic, Lord means Yahweh. So she's had this revelation that this is God in love. This is God's love in flesh right before me. She is so impacted by this whole ordeal 
that she says, nobody, Lord. But the way she says, Lord, is so affectionate and reverent of who he really is. Somehow, in the midst of her condemnation and her shame, her situation, when she's been thrown on the temple floor and accused and inches away from being stoned to death, somehow this whole ordeal and the way that Jesus loves not just her, but everyone, the crowd, the way that Jesus loves even the priests and the religious experts, the way Jesus loves everybody, she is so impacted that she has an understanding of who this really is. And then he says, well, neither do I condemn you. You can go. How about you go and stop sinning? And so what I want to talk to us today is just this short little thought. It's called when love comes to town. When love comes to town. What would it be like for God, the lover of all people, to arrive in your situation? Depending on how you've grown up, you would have a different understanding a different perception of God when you say God sometimes you get a picture of this angry big dude in the sky that's just waiting to smack you as soon as you step out of line maybe that's the way we grew up maybe even as a Christian now that you pray and you read your Bible and you come to church but maybe there's still this mixture of this experience that you have but an upbringing experience and so there's confusion around sin there's confusion around making mistakes there's confusion around not feeling like God actually loves you or is pleased with you. But when you get to know Him, when you, when you get to experience Him, when you see the way that He treats us, you realize that love has come to town. Even if you haven't had that experience yourself yet, you can see the way that He loves others. Even this story itself is enough to inspire us to understand that God is love. And that His role is never to condemn it's never to push down it's never to marginalize that's what we are good at we're good at setting up rules and groups and clubs and segregating people I mean thank God we're not in those days where men had to sit on that side and women had to sit on that side we've changed that or it was blacks and whites or different races thank God that we've moved on from those days but we still have our segregating moments we still look at people a little bit differently some people put a smile on our face. Others we kind of turn away from because we're not sure how to handle. People who are sick, people who are in prison, people who walk in with tattoos. I watch people walk, look at our son. He's got tattoos all over him. We don't know why he's got tattoos. <laughs> I don't want him to have tattoos. <laughs> but he's got them. So do we love him or do we rouse on him? When love comes to town, are people valuable for who they are? Or do they have to prove it to us? Because God doesn't make us prove anything to Him. In fact, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So He's not waiting for us to progress. He's not waiting for us to clean ourselves up. He's not waiting for us to get better, to get good, to become perfect. He accepts us and loves us already. One of the reasons I want to live good and live well and treat people well is because of the way He loves me. I'm not trying to love you and treat you well because I want God to love me. He already does. And because He already does, it motivates me to live life better. So a couple of thoughts. When love comes to town, number one. When love comes to town, number one, people are precious. They are not projects. They're not projects. People are precious. You know, if I'm the person who 
organizes all of the creative side of the church and I've got to find people to fill my team. It could be easy if I don't have a drummer, which we do. You're amazing, by the way. Where's our drummer? Go, girl. If we don't have a drummer, I could easily start to put pressure on someone. As soon as I find out, Andrew says, oh, someone says, oh, are you a drummer? Oh, and so I'm now putting pressure on you. I need you in the band. Why? Because I need a drummer spot. I need that filled. And if I'm not careful, you become a project because I'm trying to fill a team position. You become a project. But I must always remember when love comes to town, you're a person. You're precious. People are precious, they're not projects. So it's trying to always remember that in whatever we're doing. If we are working, this morning I went walked down to McDonald's to get us a coffee. And uh, <laughs> I've got all these McDonald's stories, James. I, was, I walked down to McDonald's to get a coffee and, uh, you, you know, everything's automated now. Like people don't even want to talk to you. And so <laughs> I walk down and I'm aware now. So I walk down to get a coffee and so I'm ordering on the app before I get in. Because yesterday I did that and I got frustrated a little bit, to be honest, because I was still trying to work it out and I couldn't, didn't know how to use the app properly and no one wanted to serve me or talk to me because you've got to use the app. And I'm like, I just want a person. I'm like, I'm a person. I'm going to talk to another person. I want some people interaction. <laughs> anyway, I'd worked it out. So I ordered my stuff and I walked in and I clicked pick up in store and I'm like, yes. I walk in and sit down. This bikey walks in and uh, he's kind of standing there and he's got his leathers on and He's looking around and nothing's happening. And I sat there and I watched, <laughs> was it five people? Five different people behind the counter got eye contact with this bikey standing at the, at the, at the counter. <laughs> and no one, no one said, I'll be with you in a moment. No one said, I'll be right there. No one said, just one second. No one said, I can see you. No, everyone ignored him. They looked at him and ignored him. And he's getting irritated. I'm like, this is not a guy you want to irritate. <laughs> he's getting irritated. And he's like pacing and he's, you know, a bit of colorful language. He's like, and he actually goes, blankety blank, anyone home? I'm like, oh, this is getting interesting. <laughs> but I was calm. I was peaceful because I'm sitting there. I've already worked out how to use the app yesterday. And so I'm just waiting. And eventually, you know, he's looking at me and I'm like, bro, I've got nothing. I don't, I don't know. And he goes, I don't know how to use those app things, those blankety blank app things. I'm like, mate, I only figured it out yesterday. Don't look at me. And so we're kind of engaging and chatting. I'm trying to create a bit of rapport because I'm like, if this goes bad, I'm going to have to step in. <laughs> and, and so then finally this beautiful girl comes out and she's smiling and trying to serve him and he's quite irritated and she did a great job of calming him down. So I walk over to pick up our coffees just in case I need to go, hey, bro, bro, person, person, it's all good. It's fine. She's smiling. She loves you. It's okay. Just to be ready. But he calmed down. It was great. But, you know, we can get so good at processing things that people become projects to fulfill the orders that we have. And when love comes to town, we've got to remember that people are precious. They're not projects. And so we treat everyone with the proper value that they deserve. And you can always tell the difference. Like if you genuinely believe that people are valuable, you'll be kind to them. You'll say hello. It's a great thing about Toowoomba. We're walking down the street. I'm like, good morning, g'day, g'day. Every, everyone's friendly. Everyone's saying g'day. You do that in, like in Sydney in the city. I don't want to, no one wants to stop and talk to you. So take advantage of that. That we can, 
Oh, Toowoomba. No, we're not in Toowoomba. I could be. No, we're in Gladstone. Thank you for correcting me. That's good. In Gladstone. It's so, Toowoomba is beautiful as well. Also kind. But Gladstone, even more kind. Um, so when, when, when love comes to town, people are not projects. They are precious. It's really important to remember that. Um, number two, when, when love comes to town, the end becomes the goal. Now. The end becomes the goal. Right now. Have you heard that saying? A means to an end? It's just a means to an end. This is what the saying is. If you look it up in the dictionary, um, a means to an end is a thing that is not valued or important in itself, but is useful in achieving an outcome. A means to an end is something that, or a person who is not valuable in itself, but is useful to achieve an outcome. That's what a means to an end is. A means to an end. The religious leaders who threw this woman down on the ground, who had been caught in the act of adultery, but didn't worry about the man who she committed it with, she was not precious. There was no value to her, for them. She was a means to an end. She was not valuable in herself, but she was useful to try and trap Jesus. Isn't that horrible? That when people become useful to us for our outcomes, that could happen at work. We could easily be in a situation where we don't really care about our staff. We just need them to fulfill a job because it's about the company moving forward. Or in church life, on rosters and people. and We've got to be so careful because when love comes to town, people are precious, they're not projects. And the end becomes the goal. So the saying, a means to an end, is not the right way to live because the kingdom says, because of the end, I now live with the means to live like Jesus. So I live from the end backwards. I live, that's how I want to be, so I'm going to live that now. I practice living my future self now. My redeemed self, my, the, the person that God wants me to become, I do that now. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's in the, passage, uh, the Passion Translation. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they delivered, sorry, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had no religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with Him. You see, when we spend time with Jesus, His love rubs off on us. Because Jesus is love. The Bible says God is love. And because Jesus is God. So Jesus is love. If you want to find out more about love, find out more about God to study the life of Jesus. Watch how he treated people when he was here, the way he served people. Even the way he tried to put dignity upon religious Pharisees and people who were sarcastic, he still showed honor and dignity and value to all because he came to save everybody, even those who are judgmental, even those who are sinful, even those who are aggressive, even those who are nice, because everybody needs to be saved by God. And so we live with the end in mind. We are to live here in this present world as if God's new future had already arrived. That's how we live. Isn't that the Lord's Prayer? 
Isn't that the prayer that we pray? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What we're, what we're praying is, God, the way you would do things, please help me to do that. The way you live, the way you think about things, help me to have that same understanding. It's not a means to an end. It's the end now. When love comes to town, we understand that we will, we are all being perfected and we're all on a journey to become more and more like Jesus. So because that's the journey we're on, study what type of person I should be in the end. Practice living that now. When love comes to town, we live with the end in mind. We bring it close. We bring it right here. It's about living now in this present world as the kind of people you will one day become. Be now who we were always created to be. And the third point, lastly, when love comes to town, everything changes. Everything changes. Uh, for that woman caught in adultery, everything changed. In fact, as you start reading further on in Scripture, you start to realize that that woman, she started following Jesus. And that woman hung out with Jesus and the disciples. She was one of the disciples. She was one of the followers, one of the students of Jesus. She hung out with him. There was a, several women, men and women. There were 12 apostles, but that was really fulfill the law and the prophecies about the 12 tribes of Israel. But there were other men who were disciples and there were plenty of women who were disciples. And this lady who was caught in the act of adultery had had such an encounter with the love of God that she now followed him and was counted as one of the disciples. Isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing? Because when love comes to town, everything changes. You now have purpose. You have a reason to exist. No matter how difficult life has been, no matter how bad things have happened to us, when love comes to town, I have a reason to get back up again tomorrow. I have a reason to live. No matter what tragedies I've suffered, no matter what hardships, you look at me and I'm standing here on stage, you think that guy is probably born with a silver spoon in his mouth. No. <laughs> I wasn't born with a spoon at all. I grew up in a caravan until I was 20. I've been suicidal. I've, been, I've had the most horrific experiences in my life. But when love comes to town, it changes everything. And you have a reason to move forward, a reason to live again, a reason to love again, a reason to serve. And you can actually learn to look at people the way God looks at them. And it changes your day. It will rock your world. It is so beautiful. We're instructed to leave the old humanity and become new humans. Where there are no Greek or Jews, no slave or free, rich or poor, Australian or Aboriginal, but Christ is all and is in all. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. If you look through Colossians chapter 3, um, I don't have it up on the screens here for you, but let me just turn to it for a moment. It starts talking about uh, living the new life. It talks about the instructions for Christian households. Can I summarize this passage for you? That the the instructions for Christian household. When love comes to town, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Let me summarize that passage of Scripture. This is what it looks like. Because when Jesus becomes Lord of all, when He becomes Lord of my life and Lord of your life, when love comes to town, it changes everything. And this is what it looks like when Jesus is Lord of all of us. This is what it looks like. In the Lord, 
The wife allows the husband to become responsible for her. The wife allows the husband to become responsible. Let your man protect you and provide for you. Let him do that. Give him that honor. That's what the wife does. In the Lord, the wife allows the husband to be responsible. In the Lord, the husband submits himself, subjects himself to Jesus by loving his wife and placing her well-being above his own. That's what the husband does. When you realize that Jesus is Lord of my life, then I live in a way that brings Julia's well-being to the front and her well-being is more important than mine. That's what happens when Jesus is Lord of all of us. When Jesus is Lord, children look up to their parents who are trying to call them to maturity. When Jesus is Lord of all of us, parents treat children with patience and understanding. Slaves honor their master because Jesus is the real master. Masters who have slaves are to remember that God is everyone's master and that these people are not property but fellow citizens who belong to God. It changes everything. It changes the way we do life. It changes everything because people matter to God, which means they matter to us. It's not now about whether people go to church or don't go to church. It's not whether people are believers or not believers. It is not church, unchurched, believers, non-believers. It's people. Jesus died once for all mankind. Everybody is important. And so we treat everyone with dignity. If you come to church today, congratulations. If you didn't come today, well, I can't say anything because you're not here, but congratulations. Like you're all important. Come back next week. Well, you're not even here, but come back next week. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter whether you're here, not here, in, out, you matter. And when love comes to town, it changes everything. Whether you serve or don't serve, whether you've got a job or not have a job, a house, don't have a house. You matter because you are human. That's what makes you matter. The exalted Messiah demands that our households be totally transformed beyond any recognition of the society that we live in. Paul was writing this to the first century Roman believers where Caesar was the occupation rule of the day. How much more today should we live in a way that our neighbors are thinking, look, I, I can see they've got mistakes and I can see they don't get everything right, but gee, they, 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 they really practice loving things. Like we're, we're, we're accepted and included in this street just because of who we are, not because of what we do, not because we take the bins out and take them back in for you. No, we just, because of who we are. Why don't we get the team to come back and join me? Jules is going to come up and um, I don't know what she's going to do. She's going to do something. Let me, let me finish with this last sentence. When love comes to town, no part of the human existence is left untouched by the loving and liberating rule of the Lord Jesus. Let me say that one more time. When love comes to town, no part of the human existence is left untouched. When love comes to town, he addresses every issue. He touches every part of our lives. Every addiction, every frailty, every success, every failure. He touches every inclination, every thought, every habit, every stronghold, every, every weird way of thinking. When love comes to town, he permeates every part of our life and not one part of the human existence is left untouched by the loving, liberating rule of Jesus. He wants to make us whole. He wants to save us. He wants to remake us, re, remodel us. 
We may not be where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. We're a motion picture. We're a work in progress. We're another step in the right direction. Babe, why don't you come and do something? It's beautiful. Does anyone love the Lord Jesus Christ? Anyone grateful for his love? I would love to, before I pray for a, a bunch of people, and I've just been asking the Lord to, to speak to me about people in the room while Joel's been bringing such a foundational word on the love of God. Before I pray for those people that the Lord has been speaking to me about, I'd love to pray for anyone in the room who has never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard about His love. You've heard about His grace. You've heard about His leaning towards those who are sinners and changed their lives forever. You know the beautiful thing about Jesus? That He comes and meets us just where we are, where you're at today. I want to ask you a question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Not do you come to church? Because coming to church doesn't save you from your sin. <laughs> coming to Jesus and surrendering your life to Him saves you. Today, have you given your life to Jesus? I wonder if everyone, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment. And if you would love to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you would love Him to forgive you of your sin, the Bible says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's amazing, glorious standard. But His gift to us today is forgiveness. His gift to us today is eternal life. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been coming to church for a lifetime. Maybe you've been coming to church just a few times over. Maybe this is your first time today. But I want to give every person, every person, that's you, an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. And if that's you today, I just want you to recognize that in your own heart. That's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want this love Joel was talking about. I want this forgiveness, the kind that Jesus extended towards the woman caught in adultery. I want that forgiveness. I've been carrying around my sin and I want to give it to Jesus today. And I want him to wipe my slate clean. If that's you, and I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer. But if that's you today and you want to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if you would pray this prayer, mean it from your heart and receive his forgiveness today. And church, would you pray this with me, everyone together? Can we pray? Let's say these words after me. Jesus, say that out loud. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I come before you today and I surrender my life to you. Today, I want to join your family, the kingdom of God. So today, again, I surrender in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Can we just put our hands together and applaud those that maybe prayed that for the first time? Congratulations. That's amazing. James is going to tell you a little bit more about what you can do uh, to take the step forward after surrendering your life to Jesus. But as Joel was preaching about shame, I just felt like there were three people that have come to church today, three very specific people. You've come to church today. And if you would look at your life as you wake up every day and carry on your life, you just carry this shame of things that you've done in your past, things that you're embarrassed about. You've given your life to Jesus, but you still carry this shame. And I just felt like the Lord would say to you today, shame off. Not shame on you. Maybe someone said shame on you. But what the Lord would say to you today is shame off you in Jesus' name. Today begins a new day. You don't have to walk with that shame any longer. You can walk free of that shame. You've been forgiven in Jesus' name. Today is a brand new day. And here's a beautiful scripture. It's Isaiah 43 for you people. In verses 18 and 19, it says, Forget all... Forget about that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. And I believe that for this city of Gladstone, in fact, this region that you are a part of, I believe God is about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me. The jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Last night, Joel and I sat in a restaurant here on the water in Gladstone. And we were surrounded by beautiful young people, young adults. And as we looked at them, all I saw was a generation in desperate need of Jesus, carrying the weight of the world, carrying the shame of their past. And I really felt like, and I felt like as I walked into church this morning, that this can be a safe haven of His grace for those young people. And if you would just do, open your eyes and do what Joel talked about this morning, be loved coming to town in the young people's lives in this city you're going to start to see those empty seats that surround you filled with those young people. I prophesy that over this church. I prophesy that over this city. I prophesy that over those young people's lives in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you, church. Thanks, James. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Julia. You know, today, if you prayed that prayer, we all pray together, but you, more than that, it was in your heart. There was something that was fresh in you about that, and it was a response to God today. You know, after the service, we just like a moment, just a, a moment to just encourage you and talk with you. Come and please see us, because it, it just talks to Scripture about it. it. You know, those who confess me, I'll confess Jesus, says I'll confess you before my Father. In other words, what's happening is as you confess Him to someone, you know, there's an acknowledgement in heaven that you're a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, whether Pastor Malcolm will be in the foyer, I'll be mingling around. I just would love you just to come and say, hey, 
can I just talk to you for, to you for a moment? Because uh, we want to encourage you. Because you can't, you can't do it alone. You know, we need to support and share and encourage. And so if you did that for the very first time, responded and prayed that prayer, or maybe again, please come and see us. We'd love to just help you on that journey. It is a journey of discovery and what God's doing. So, hey, great, great. I see that hand already. That's exciting. <laughs> You're keen to talk. That's good. So, uh, hey, you know, folks, God's good. How about we just finish with one song of uh, worship, hey? And as we just close today's service.